uh, go for launch. Five. Quiet, numbskulls. I'm broadcasting. Anything can happen in the next half hour. Four. My friend, we cannot keep this a secret any longer. This whole thing is insane. Three. Quiet, please. I am analyzing. Where's the kaboom? Two. There was supposed to be an earth-shattering kaboom. One. million years ago, there were mosquitoes, just like today. And just like today, they fed on the blood of animals, even dinosaurs. Sometimes, after biting a dinosaur, the mosquito would land on the branch of a tree and get stuck in the sap. After a long time, the tree sap would get hard and become fossilized, just like a dinosaur bone, preserving the mosquito inside. This fossilized tree sap, which we call Amber waited for millions of years with the mosquito inside until Jurassic Park scientists came along. Using sophisticated techniques, they extract the preserved blood from the mosquito and, bingo, dino DNA. Welcome to Jurassic Park. You're implying that a group composed entirely of female animals will breed? No, I'm, I'm simply saying that life uh, finds a way. But greetings, my fellow galactic travelers, and welcome back to Planet 8. This is your mission commander Larry speaking to you from our hidden base. Chief Engineer Bob is here by my side as always in the command center, and circling Planet 8 in our orbital spy satellite is Reconnaissance Officer Karen. And on this episode of Planet 8, we're going to be talking about all things related to dinosaur, be it in film or television. Uh, straight away, let's kick it up to the satellite. Karen. Would you give our listeners a brief little intro on what exactly we're going to be talking about uh, during this podcast? Well, Larry, thank you. You know, we uh, we did our podcast on the king, King Kong. Oh, yeah. And, uh, of course, there's some wonderful sequences in King Kong with dinosaurs. And uh, just got me to thinking about dinosaurs, and we started talking about them. And it was like, hey, maybe we should do an episode on dinosaurs and dinosaur movies and shows. And, uh, of course, you know, I think uh, almost all of us, well, if you're especially a, a geeky kid, uh, when you're little, you're excited by dinosaurs. There's just something really 
um, thrilling and mysterious and captivating about dinosaurs. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a pretty common thing. I was doing a little reading and they said that uh, there's something about kids being fascinated by dinosaurs. Uh, the other things kids get fascinated about, I guess, uh, is like cars, trucks, trains, whatever. Um <laughs> But uh, they said it kind of scratches this itch kids have to um, sort of develop a mastery of things like, you know, you can collect things and you can memorize things and you can, you know, recognize things at an early age. And so there's lots of different dinosaurs. They all look different. They have different names. And it's real exciting. Um, And I think, uh, you know, also being... uh, Uh, into like fantasy at a young age you know you can just imagine these huge creatures running around and what would you do and you know and of course having access to films like we we did as kids whether it was Harryhausen movies or maybe some a little uh, cheaper looking movies it's still pretty exciting stuff and of course we all been watching different dinosaur films over the last week or two and uh, one thing I noticed, it's, so it seems like you can classify these dinosaur m- movies much the same way you can classify dinosaurs into categories. And so uh, most of these films fit into about three categories or so. They're either the, uh, the dinosaurs are brought back from being somehow preserved over millions of years. They were frozen in ice or, you know, uh, buried deep in in the frozen tundra or something, and then somehow mankind digs them up, and so they're brought back. Or the next category would be that uh, mankind stumbles into this lost hidden world where the prehistoric era is still, uh, still around, you know. Or then there's the third type, which is that we... Uh, tinker around with science you know science gone wrong and we clone dinosaurs or we bring them back somehow like Jurassic Park Mm. Uh, so there's basically three three different types of dinosaur films Um, occasionally there's another type which I think is kind of a subcategory of the lost world which is we go to another planet and there's dinosaurs there Um, but most of them seem to fit in these different categories when we've been talking and watching them but you know, whatever the category, there's always the same thing as like, wow, there's this huge creature and then usually we're running from it. So <laughs> that's, that's <laughs> the, right. the thrill, you know, the anxiety of, of having a thing that could eat you chasing you. So I think that's a big part of the, the thrill of the dinosaur film. Yeah, I, I think you're right. Um, you know, when you think about it, it's like if, if you're a kid and you read about unicorns or you read about you know, dragons and, and, you know, whatnot. We go to the zoo, we see these predators, lions and tigers. And then you go to the museum and, you know, you, you read about dinosaurs, these huge creatures that, you know, ruled the world millions of years ago. And you see the evidence in that skeleton of the, you know, whether it's a T-Rex or a Velociraptor or whatever. And they really existed. It's like your imagination becomes true, you know. Mm-hmm. I think that's part of the love and the excitement that we have as kids that takes us up into, you know, our adult life. Um, I, and I know, Bob, the, you know, the, the, the categories are... are uh, I agree with you, Karen. I think there's going to be a special category for some of the films that Bob saw on Amazon. 
but we'll get to that as as we go through the as we go through the podcast. So uh, let me ask you, Karen, what is one of the films that you saw that kind of um, got you thinking about the different categories, or, or just you know in general for the films that we're uh, talking about today? Well, I watched films from a. a different decades I kind of went through and looked at things I originally I was thinking oh I want to watch it a, a lot of these older films and then you start to realize we've been a little bit spoiled by CGI I guess because Jurassic Park really did a great job of bringing dinosaurs to life but I will say one movie that I feel really still holds up is uh, Beast from 20,000 Fathoms from mm. 1953 you know the great Ray Harryhausen um I just look at his work and there's such artistry. That's the one thing I think always separates out uh, Harryhausen from CGI. You know, the CGI can look very realistic and, you know, look like it's the creature is real and right there. But Harryhausen's work has such a charm to it. And the creatures always seem to have a personality and emotion and uh seeing seeing that movie again you know it's i've seen it many times but it's probably been four or five years since i saw it last and uh you know they discover this creature they're doing these tests in the ice and the creature pops up and then you know makes its way to new york and and then it's tearing through the streets and you know winds up in a like a uh a uh carnival with a uh roller coaster and stuff it's just amazing though you know all the stuff he conveyed through his stop motion creatures and uh, i really enjoyed that one a lot and there's also it's funny because there's a young lee van cleef in it who people uh, would remember from you know the uh clint uh, eastwood movies the spaghetti westerns as he always playing a bad guy and he plays a sharpshooting soldier who uh shoots at the creature but uh that one i thought was especially good one it was just a you know really really great creature design and just animated so well well i think the thing about the harryhausen films versus the cgi is because they have that look it's kind of more and he even said this at one point it's easier to put yourself into a world of fantasy when it doesn't look absolutely 100 percent real Mm-hmm. And so, you know, when you put yourself in a world of fantasy, then you tend to kind of let things slide or you tend to, you know, agree with things or accept things you wouldn't normally accept. Because when it looks like absolutely, totally real, then your mind is suddenly in the real world and it's like, well, it can't do this or it can't do that or why is it doing that, you know? Right. A lot of those questions you don't ask when it's a you know stop motion puppet. It's like oh well, yeah, that's kind of cool. But uh, no, the Redosaur was really you know it was definitely a cool design, and uh, that was like well I think that was like one of the first fantasy films I had seen. And of course you know dinosaurs, you know what kid didn't have that big pack of pink, blue, gray, blue, you know, whatever <laughs> di- plastic dinosaurs that they'd play with, you know? Right. That was like, for me, that was like more than like army men. Well, you'd have army men to shoot at the dinosaurs, but (laughs) it would be the dinosaurs that are like the main, the main attraction. And they're also kind of a gateway drug to monsters, right? 
Sure. Because when you're a kid and you're like looking at all these T-Rexes and Tyrannosauruses and all that, and then suddenly, you know, you kind of segue into the world of monsters and... Right. A Godzilla doesn't seem so far-fetched when you know there was a Tyrannosaurus Rex. You're like, oh, sure, why not? That's true. Yeah. Yeah, I, I will say in, in watching the films, and the films were great, and, and, you know, we'll get into it, but it really gave me an appreciation for the artistry that went into the Godzilla films um, with the miniatures that they realized to go up against Godzilla, be them tanks or, or whatever else. And I don't want to go too far off subject, but um, that's one of the things as I watched, like, The Land Unknown. Um, you know, they they did their best, and this this is like a late fifties film, maybe early sixties. Nineteen nineteen fifty seven. Fifty seven. Um, you know, they had that helicopter at the end of the uh, at the end of the film, and it it didn't quite make the landing pad. And you know, as a kid, you were like, oh my god, you know, they ran out of fuel. But as an adult, I'm like, oh, they got footage from a crash at a real, you know, refinery or whatever and interspliced it into the film. And it worked, you know, fine. Um, The Land Unknown was one of the films that I saw that had a man in a suit for the T-Rex. It had the what my wife was calling Nessie, uh, (laughs) the water dinosaur. that was The plesiosaur. Yeah, thank you. And then I think they had like, I don't know if it was an iguana or whatever, you know, they, they glue the fins on them or whatever. So it was like three different kinds of dinosaurs. That one I don't think had any, um, stop motion. Well, it had the, um, had the pterodactyl too. Oh, that's right. Cause that's what actually that's brings right. down the helicopter at the beginning. That's right. But no, yeah, I definitely watched the land unknown. I thought it was, uh, you know, I, I enjoy it. I think the plesiosaur is like light years ahead of the T-Rex in that movie as oh, far yeah. as looks. I mean, of course, yeah, the plesiosaur was like swimming along in the river or whatever, so he didn't have to walk on land or anything like that. But um, no, I mean, I thought he moved well. I thought it was pretty menacing. You know, I have one little bit of trivia about the T-Rex, though. Yes, sir. After the movie, a few years later, they chopped off the head and put it underneath some stairs and oh. he became Spot in the Munsters. That is cool. I, you know, that to me is like when I watched Batman versus Superman and found out that Martha was the name of both their mothers. <laughs> oh, I thought you were going to say they chopped her head off and put it under some stairs. <laughs> and use it in the Adams Family. That's right. You know. Wow, that's interesting. And, and, you know, you think about it and it's like, oh, my God, that was the same head. I mean, they never showed him out right under the stairs, but that's cool. You, you, right. you get today's no prize, Chief. Yeah, well, I was kind of I was kind of looking up a little some of the stuff about the land unknown. And uh, mm-hmm. and actually, Jack Arnold was originally supposed to direct it. Jack Arnold oh, of Creature from the Black Lagoon fame and Gilligan's yeah. Island and whatever else. But as the budget like shrunk, he lost interest, and the directorial reins went to uh, Virgil Vogel, who had just done the Mole People for Universal. Because this was a Universal movie, by the way. And I think Universal kind of cornered the market on dinosaurs when we go through these movies. They have quite a few of them. Kind of like what they did with the monsters. Yeah. Anything outside of the three main dinosaurs were 
lizards with fins and horns glued on them. And I'm sure we'll talk a lot about those as, as the episode goes on. Right. Oh, and I will say this one did have the, the giant man-eating plant, although it's a vegetable, so it doesn't quite qualify as a dinosaur, but still menacing. That's right. And actually, yeah, looking at the notes, the plesiosaur, the water-based one, they called an elasmosaurus. Mm. Now, I don't know if that's an actual dinosaur or not, or just some made-up movie thing, but... Well, I, no, I thought at least on the land unknown, the people parts were interesting enough to uh, carry the movie when the dinosaurs weren't on the screen. So, I I agree with you. You know, I I also saw one million years BC that you know with Raquel Welch and Harryhausen did some work on that. That had no dialogue other than grunts, chirps, and farts. Um, and obviously it had Raquel Welch and, and a lot of the dinosaur work was interesting. The story was, was okay, but as far as acting, the land unknown, I think is far superior acting wise. Maybe, maybe visually the, you know, the film's not in color and, and maybe the, the dinosaurs were not as, you know, menacing, but, um, you know, I I would I would keep land uh, unknown as you know top hundred. You know, if I was on a desert planet or whatever. top hundred dinosaur films, uh, top top hundred flicks in general. Really? Oh wow! Yeah, I I really enjoyed it. it. You know, maybe because I had such low expectations and hadn't seen it for twenty years, but it's a fun little movie. Interesting. I, you know, this is the man that loves Batman versus Superman. So, you know. The land unknown what? is the Batman versus Superman of dinosaur films. I'm starting to think that <laughs> somehow I feel like you guys must be getting paid for mentioning Batman versus Superman because we've worked it in about five times already. I don't know. I feel cheated. It's like, oh, what, gonna... you know, do I need to start mentioning Batman versus Superman? Am I going to get something for it? <laughs> <laughs> just flag for most listeners your bank. oh wow okay well let me ask you guys this I mean you've, you've all seen the Raquel Welch the million years BC uh, and I'm not trying to like call out any of the special effects crews or something like that but I, I had to watch that movie three times because I kept falling asleep <laughs> I thought you were going to say I had to watch it three times because of Raquel Welch. No, um, and she's beautiful. And, and one of the things that really took me out of the film was all these cave people. I mean, half the men have their testicles hanging out of their little loincloth and half the women have like fur bikinis. But Raquel Welch, her makeup was immaculate. Her costume... <laughs> Her hair was combed. I'm like, so you're a cave woman. <laughs> you're, you're complaining about the inaccuracy of the depiction of the cave people. I I, I am, well, you know, they, they were fine. I believe they were cave people. It was Raquel who was definitely the Hollywood star in, you know, in this movie. Well, um, what, what about the, uh, now I did not, I have I have seen it many times and I, I didn't uh, see the the whole film but i did see on youtube i watched the highlights of the uh i don't think it's a t-rex it's, it looks like a baby t-rex or whatever that goes into their camp where, where they have like a little waterfall or whatever and attacks yeah. the people they wind up killing it it's harryhausen and it's fully articulated and so beautiful it's it's still a great sequence um 
with the cavemen organizing to to drive it off and then finally kill it. Um, but yeah, the, and the, also they have that great thing with the giant turtle, um, which is, is nice. But yeah, I understand what you mean. And I think it's like what Bob brought up. These monster movies, and we kind of talked about this in King Kong too, you need to have a good human story to go with the monster story or else you start losing interest. Right. There was another movie too similar to that called When Dinosaurs Ruled the Earth. And that was another one where none of the uh, none of the cast had dialogue. It was all just grunts and moans and whatever. A lot of screams too. But uh, yeah, Victoria Vetri was sort of the Raquel Welch of that movie. And you know, she she gets as messed up as anyone else, but I mean, she definitely is more manicured than most. And yeah, the special effects for uh, When Dinosaurs Ruled the Earth were actually done by Jim Danforth. And uh, I think they're every bit as good as uh, as Ray Harryhausen in this. He does a really great job. Um, have you guys seen the the movie, seen the effects? No. I have no. not. No. Oh, my God. All right, well. <laughs> we'll have to take your word for it, Chief. Well, I've All seen right. some of Jim Danforth's stuff. I mean, he is pretty good, but I guess I'm just, I don't know, stunned to hear somebody compared to Harryhausen. <laughs> well, I mean, there are some other people that have done stop motion effects that, you know, they're obviously they all look up to Harryhausen and they all started because of Harryhausen. But um, I think Jim Danforth was probably one of the better ones. And in this movie, he does, definitely does a good job. The two dinosaurs in this film, you know, this, it doesn't have like a Tyrannosaurus or a or any of the the main ones that, that you know normally see. It's got a plesiosaur right. and what they call a chasmosaur. Now, I don't know if the chasmosaur is a real dinosaur or not, or if it's just made up for this thing, but um, <laughs> it's pretty cool. It's like a whole chasmosaur family because uh, Victoria Vetri ends up befriending one, uh, mainly because she's like hiding for the rest of the tribe, and she hides in a broken egg. And when the mother comes back and one of the other babies come back, they just take her for one of their own because hey she's coming out of an egg right coming out of one of their eggs yeah I, I can understand that <laughs> yeah um, and then there's also like some giant crabs that are just in there for some uh, gratuitous caveman munching but uh, <laughs> the movie overall you know it's good it's another you know it's a hammer film but it's another one like one million years BC where it's all grunts and uggs and whatever there's no actual dialogue in the film so yeah that drove crazy yeah you know I was I was okay with that when I was younger because mm -hmm. hey there's some cool dinosaurs in there but I find that now that I'm older watching extended scenes of people just grunting just doesn't quite do it for me <laughs> and some of the percussion that they used in the film in, in place of Music. I can understand why they chose that, but it was just weird. It, it was like the music in Ganja and Hess. It really took you out of the moment, at, at least for me. That's how I felt. Ganja music, man? <laughs> it's, uh, it's like a black exploitation. Well, not black exploitation. It's kind of like a vampire film. We can talk about it in another 
Oh, okay. Episode. When we do vampires. Yeah, the mute really yeah the music was really just uh i mean it was it was that little percussion beat and raquel welch's makeup and and uh hair but anyway we, we spent enough time in one million bc we should move on <laughs> wait we, we've spent enough time with grunting dinosaur movies do we have another one like with dialogue in it well there is one that i i think we know and what would that can be? only be said with can only be said with a, a special effect? Oh, you must mean Dinosaurus. <laughs> yes. You yes, can't you can't dinosaurus. just say you can't just say Dinosaurus. It has to be like the Dinosaurus. Because the title even has an exclamation point at the end. Right. How, how many movies actually have exclamation points at the end of the title? Or you know any kind of punctuation. So didn't didn't I, didn't I actually, uh, didn't them have I an explanation? Enjoy that movie. Didn't yeah, uh, them, didn't. them had an explanation point? And was it? It was it, probably was more it? common in the fifties, sixties. Uh, yeah. Be. So uh, so yeah, Dinosaurus. I, I watched that one too. I uh, I didn't have any memory of it. I which I I find it hard to believe I never saw this movie because uh, I'm. You know, I saw a lot of this stuff growing up around the L.A. area. They showed all this stuff, but I, I really didn't have a memory of it. So it seemed brand new to me. And uh, I, I actually enjoyed it quite a bit, you know, with the two dinosaurs being revived. And and then also there was a caveman in this. So there was some grunting oh, yeah. and stuff. But <laughs> thankfully, it was modern times. So um that was that was fine, but I, I went and did a little reading on it, and apparently they originally intended to have uh, Steve McQueen star in it, but no, he decided really. to go make a little film called The Magnificent Seven oh, instead. Man. Well, that was uh, his loss. Yeah, you know, <laughs> you can never tell. Um, but yeah, I thought it was uh, it was pretty well done, you know, the animation. I mean, it wasn't Harryhausen, obviously, but it, it wasn't bad. Hmm. No, no, and then you you've got the big fight at the end between the uh, the T Rex and the steam shovel. Yeah, I mean that I I don't know that was entertaining. You know, it's like, and it, if you're a kid, it's like probably what are the things little kids, especially little boys, like dinosaurs and construction equipment, right? So yeah, well, I mean, right. who wouldn't want to befriend a brontosaurus? Yeah, there was the the brontosaurus and the little boy. Who they kept calling by two different names, so there was a little confusion there. But I didn't catch he, that. Uh, yeah, they called him. Let's see if I, I don't know if I have it in my notes. Oh, they called him either Lope or Cheek. Oh no, no, no! Sorry, I'm thinking of a different movie, which we'll get to shortly. There was another <laughs> little boy in another movie because little boys are often in dinosaur movies. Um, <laughs> but right. yeah, there was a little boy who rode around on the the brontosaurus. Um, <laughs> So there's some wish fulfillment, I think, going on in there. Yeah, I've got a book that actually I got from my friend Brad Warner a couple weeks ago called hey, called The Dinosaur Filmography. Oh, well, that's convenient. Yeah. Right. And it's got all it's got like that's where I got like a lot of my notes for this episode, just reading this and it's like so yeah, Dinosaurus was 1960. Yeah, has that kind of look right around that era. Yeah, I enjoyed it. I remember growing up and watching it. It would be on in like Saturday afternoons, 
probably on channel 44 and the monstrous movie matinee mm-hmm. or whatever um there you don't remember dinosaurs you know it does not ring a bell i may have seen it uh, really? you know you're talking to the man that forgot jurassic park 2 was called the lost world and not Park. <laughs> <you know? laughs> but you haven't seen dinosaurs not that i can recall Chief. dang okay well it, you might remember it if we gave you i wish i had the sound effect now the trigger of the uh, t-rex's roar because that roar i was sitting there listening i go wow i know that i recognize that roar i had a very distinctive roar it was also featured in the outer limits uh, there was an episode called the invisibles mm. uh, which i think had adam west and had this creature yeah. on another planet and it was kind of like a like almost like a car revving kind of thing that i remember okay <laughs> oh you want you want to do you want to do it hold on i'll give you a little echo ready do the dinosaur roar I don't think that was quite loud enough to key the echo, but Um, we get the um, idea. You get the general gist of it. I mean, and that's one of the things I think makes some of these movies is sometimes you get some really good uh, roars from the dinosaurs. I mean, like the T-Rex in Jurassic Park has that like super loud, overpowering roar, you know? Right. Just like scare the crap out of you oh I agree yeah I mean you know some of the the noises that the crab made you know in in one of the films or or, uh, the spider or you know depending on what island you went to (laughs) (laughs) oh yeah no there was uh, well in fact one of the movies I watched it might have been The Land Unknown it had the same pterodactyl cry as the pterodactyl at the beginning of Johnny Quest in the credits they had the the big pterodactyl that comes flying down. Same oh, yeah. roar. I'm like, ah. ah! I'm sure Johnny Quest got it from them because it came out earlier than, than Johnny Quest was on. But um, yeah, I was just like, hey, it's the Johnny Quest roar. Is it funny? Like somebody somewhere just decided, well, what does a pterodactyl sound like? Well, they sound like this. And then everybody for years later is going through the, I don't know, files or whatever. Like, I need a pterodactyl. Oh, okay, like this. So everybody gets it in their head. This is what it sounds like. Right. Yeah, I mean, they could have been going through some sound files and one was just marked pterodactyl. And it's like, oh, there you go. Use that. Right. But uh, yeah, I was trying to find some movies that I hadn't seen or that weren't quite so popular. And I did end up watching Poseidon Rex, which was on Netflix. (laughs) <laughs> and that was like a story of an undersea Tyrannosaurus. And then another one that I found on there and I actually watched, and Lieutenant Debbie watched it with me, was Velocipastor. About a priest that uh, gets cursed and can turn into a dinosaur. And uh, yeah, there you go. that's all I'm going to say about those two because... Combined, that's about three and a half, three hours and 45 minutes of my life I'd like back, but we can't do that. One I watched, though, that I hadn't seen before was uh, there's a filmmaker that was uh, from Czechoslovakia by the name of Karl Zeman. And uh, he made a film called Journey to the Beginning of Time. Karl Zeman 
in all his movies, he's made a bunch of movies. He combines like 2D animation, 3D animation, suits, puppets, cardboard cutouts, whatever. You know, it's kind of like he'll just sit there and during his film, he'll say, okay, I need to do this effect and it's going to be best done with a cardboard cutout sliding across the screen or something. And uh, so you've got all these different techniques that he combines in his films that are pretty cool. But uh, yeah, he did one. It was like four kids visit a museum of natural history. And uh, they're you know seeing all the different dinosaurs and everything. And they come across this ship, like a big boat that has a bunch of primitive people in it. And one is supposedly, they think, a uh, like a witch doctor. And he's kind of one of those statues that stare at you wherever you go. And so they sit down on a bench. They're looking at this guy. And then they decide to go out and they go like across the street. And there's like a river and a boat. And they get on this boat and they go through this cave. And they end up going back in time. Oh, come on, Bob. Spoiler alert. Yeah. Well, you know, this is just the beginning of the movie. I haven't spoiled anything yet. But yes, spoiler alert. But as they go through this tunnel, through this uh, river, they come across like mammoths and woolly rhinos and things. And then as they go further back in time, then obviously they get to the the dinosaurs and everything else. But uh, it's pretty pretty interesting film. They they end up getting back, and they go back to the museum. And uh, I won't give away the ending, but there's like this twist ending where you have to say, well, did they really go on that or were they just tripping out on this bench? But uh, it was good. Yeah, the, the, the effects were really good. It was 1956. So for them, for then anyway, it was really good. In fact, Steven Spielberg praised the film for the effects. And uh, there was even a scene in the movie where the boys go and they're checking out a, a dead stegosaurus that had just lost a battle to the T-Rex. And that was what made Steven Spielberg put in the uh, the scene with the Triceratops and they're, uh, they're checking them out. They have to go through its crap and everything else in Jurassic Park. Oh, yeah. That, that was, that was mm. uh, basically influenced by this film. But when this film was brought over to the U.S., it was dubbed in English and uh, there were some extra scenes that were uh, put in and they were all directed by Fred Ladd now Fred Ladd uh, is best known for show, dubbing shows like Astro Boy Kimba the White Lion and Gigantor mm. so he was the one that uh, that brought this over and, and dubbed it and then it was released I believe by American International but uh, it's definitely a cool film if you can search it out, if you can actually find it. Or really, any of Carl Zeman's films are pretty cool if you can if you can get them. They're pretty trippy, you know. Probably best watched under the influence of something, but... <laughs> Take that under consideration. There you go. What else, what else we got? What, what do you got? You got anything, Walker? Uh, well, I did watch uh, The Land That Time Forgot with mm. Doug McClure from 1974 and 
it's probably best forgotten. I don't know. There's some things in it that's there are some things in it that are kind of interesting. I, I um, liked it. I, I actually saw it in the drive-in when it first came out. Well, it's just it's it's kind of slow going. I mean, it's you know maybe I'm just used to faster paced movies nowadays. Um, because it, it takes a while with the whole thing of, you know, it's it's set around World War One era and uh, these folks on a, a freighter get torpedoed by these Germans in a U-boat and then they wind up on the U-boat and then uh, they take over the U-boat and things ensue and then they wind up going to like the South Pole and they find the hidden land with the dinosaurs and cavemen and all kinds of craziness. Mm. Uh, but it takes, it's it's like, I felt like I was like nine years old again because I was sitting there going, when are we going to get to the dinosaurs? When are we going to get to the dinosaurs? I was just like, gee. But they, uh, they had some neat effects. They did a, a combination of things uh, where they had, you know, puppets. They had a lot of puppets that they used. Um, they seem to have maybe some, uh, mostly puppets. Maybe there was a little stop motion here and there, but by and large, it seemed like a lot of miniature work with puppetry and stuff, maybe a little suit stuff going on. Hmm. Yeah, um, I remember a lot of the, uh, like the pterodactyls and things, just kind of like gliding over on wires and scooping yeah. people up in its mouth or whatever. But yeah, that movie yeah. was like 1975. Amicus in the UK did that. And they had gotten right. the rights to like three of the Edgar Rice Burroughs novels. There was Land That Time Forgot, People That Time Forgot, mm-hmm. and uh, At the Earth's Core with Caroline Monroe. Yep. But uh, so, yeah, I, so I think Land That Time Forgot was probably the strongest of the three. But uh, yeah, they, you know, it, it, once it got rolling, it was fairly interesting. And then at the end, this, you know, volcano explodes. So they're trying to escape the volcano and... You know, the dinosaurs are running around. The cavemen are freaking out. And so, uh, you know, it, it was somewhat entertaining, but it was, yeah, it was a little bit of a slog at the beginning. So, Well, I tell you, pal, that's how I feel with those Daijumon films you had me watch. Daimajin? Daimajin, sorry. <laughs> it's a totally different thing, though, but I Daimajin, those are like Those are like things. art. Dude, I, I slept through the first hour and he still didn't get to the revenge part of the... Really, yeah. If you just want to see him, you just tune in for the last fifteen minutes, basically. And those are basically like samurai movies, basically. Then mm-hmm. he pops yeah, in. Yeah. I, I just, you know, we, we balance each other out because honestly, here on Planet Eight, Bob said the time that uh, land that time forgot, people that time forgotten. Then I would have said, uh, and I forget what the third movie is. Wow, <laughs> but Bob. At the Earth's core, I actually read the novel of Land That Time Forgot. It's been a long time since I read it, but um, yeah, so it's not a very long book. So I'm surprised they were yeah, make they were able to make an hour and a half movie out of it. I mean, you know, they knew how to write those adventure stories back in the day. They got in, they got out. They, you know, they didn't have to. But I, I like a lot of the these kind of like hollow earth or hidden land kind of stories. Uh, like in Marvel Comics, they had the Savage Land where Kazar lived, you know. And I think it was the same thing. I think it was like Antarctica and that you go through a certain, you know, 
uh, opening in the, the glaciers and then, oh, lo and behold, there's this lush jungle and all these different tribes living there and dinosaurs and say he had his saber tooth tiger and everything. So, <laughs> you know, it's the idea has been around a long time. Yeah, I know in the in the uh, Edgar Rice Burroughs novels, I guess the uh, the land that was at the Earth's core was Pellucidar. And yeah, they even had a novel where Tarzan went there. Oh yeah, yeah. Tarzan at the I Earth's core. I did read core. a little Tarzan. So yeah, all those all those things that you would normally not know or connected, they all weave in together. This is true. I I'll say I had a lot of fun. You know, kids like dump trucks and, and uh, backhoes and whatever. They like dinosaurs and they like cowboys. We were talking about Harryhausen, the Valley of Guanji. Mm-hmm. Got to see that. I don't know what he has against elephants, though. That's <laughs> the thing that I think made this... I didn't like this when I was a kid because I hated to see the elephant get killed. So you didn't right. like uh, 20 million miles to Earth either? Exactly. <laughs> or elephant, you know. Uh, I think I felt more sympathy for the emir than I felt like Guanji was just a killing machine. You know, the emir had like real emotions and stuff. True. But uh, as as you as you were saying, Commander. Yes, they just they just the cowboys go into like a regular valley. It's not in the North Pole or South Pole. It's just you know west of the Pecos line. Right. It's like, well, you know, this valley has been it's been circled by these mountains and they pull a rock out and they pop through the valley. And it's like, oh, OK. <laughs> oh, damn. There's a T-Rex. I'll be a damn. So it was, yeah, you know, I love anything Harryhausen does. And, you know, I, I don't I can't speak as to how much time he had on this or, you know. The dinosaurs are not as up to par as his normal work, I would say. I thought Guanji was pretty articulated. Um, yeah, I like the design of that. There's some obvious differences in some of the scenes between, like, uh, there's a, I don't know, Pteranodon, Pterodactyl, a flying dinosaur that looks yeah. different in the air as opposed to the full-size one they have on the ground. Right, right. Um but well, one of the things I liked is that the, the the dinosaurs are happy usually that Harryhausen animates. Their tails are always wagging and wiggling. So. <laughs> well, then you also have the scene where the cowboys are like lassoing the T-Rex. Oh, that was awesome. Yeah, that was that's, really That's well one of the best scenes in the movie. Yeah, totally. It would be interesting if they ever tried to remake. I, I know they did the Clash of the Titans. Uh, uh, they actually had two. Uh, there was a sequel to it. I wonder if they'd ever do Guanji. Well, you know, there was another movie very similar to Guanji, right? Uh, Dracula versus Billy the Kid? No. <laughs> and not Batman versus Superman. Oh, my but, God. <laughs> but no, it was The Beast from Hollow Mountain. And that was actually done by Willis O'Brien, but it was very, very close in style and and uh, plot to Guanji. I think it was more cowboys and dinosaurs, but but I did not watch that one. I did watch another Willis O'Brien movie though, The Giant mm-hmm. Behemoth, 
You guys familiar with that one? one. I didn't get a chance to I watch it. I wanted that. to see it, and I didn't get to see it. Yeah. Oh, man. That one's cool because, you know, the dinosaur, they call it a paleosaurus. He's, like, so irradiated that as he walks through the town and he's, like, destroying buildings, he's also melting everybody in his path because they're all getting like radiation poisoning and you know turning to dust and whatever this it was actually the last it was done in uh, 1959 and it was the last black and white monster on the loose film that was made and also the last black and white film to use stop motion oh that's Uh, interesting yeah in fact uh, Eugene Laurie who directed Beast from 20,000 Fathoms, also directed uh, this film, The Giant Behemoth. Um, so the creature was originally supposed to be a growing mass of radiation, but once Laurie was brought onto the project, the big success he had just had with Beast from 20,000 Fathoms, the British production company said, no, no, we want a big dinosaur. We want a big dinosaur. <laughs> so that's uh, what came here. Um, and when Laurie was looking for the effects for the film, of course, he immediately went to Ray Harryhausen. But Ray Harryhausen was working on this little film called Seventh Voyage of Sinbad at the time. Ooh. So Laurie uh, turned over to Willis O'Brien and Pete Peterson, who he had met uh, while they were working on the effects for The Black Scorpion, which actually has oh, some great stop motion. One. Yeah, that is. So... Um, isn't that name kind of like overkill? Because like giant behemoth, is that kind of like? Well, he's really big. He's big, like really, big really giant. big. Yeah, you know, it's <laughs> really, really it's big and huge. Plus, like in the movie, they also use behemoth as sort of like the biblical term or whatever. They quote some scripture here and there. Oh boy. Hmm. But it's very British, you know, all the the characters and all that. Yeah, it's a very British type of film very British approach to the whole thing but uh, yeah. but it's, it's a it's a good movie and it, it moves pretty fast um, it didn't do as well as Beast from 20,000 Fathoms or Eugene Lurie's other movie Gorgo but it did it, it did okay oh, oh. <laughs> I forgot about Gorgo Gorgo it's a classic yeah I didn't know if I would put Gorgo in the dinosaur no, yeah, category. So that's why I didn't bring him up or whatever. But well, it's just like the Ymir, right? Love the film, but it wouldn't have fit in this podcast. Well, so you know, if we suddenly f- played Fast and Loose, we'd be talking Godzilla and everything else. But, but we're, <laughs> we're we're strictly dinosaurs here today. Just, we can't discuss Godzilla. <laughs> nope, or nope. can we? Ah, you know, yeah. one other thing about Guanji that I just have to mentioned because it really bothered me at the time Uh oh well they said they were like south of the rio grande or whatever it's it's definitely taking place in like you know south the southwest american states or new or mexico somewhere around there right why why were there gypsies (laughs) i i don't quite understand are there mexican gypsies gypsies travel man they travel everywhere i guess they get in their little caravans and off they go 
I felt like part of a Universal monster movie had been transplanted into Guanji because all of a sudden the gypsies show up with their caravan and their evil eye and all this other stuff. Well, I, I've shared this with, with Karen before. I'm, I'm a firm believer that on Star Trek and other TV shows, why would they go to a planet where Nazis, you know, it's like, well, how does that happen? And they explain how it happens. But in reality, they had just finished wrapping a film or something about Nazis and they had all these free costumes. So they're like, quick, grab those costumes. We'll do an episode. <laughs> That's why they had gypsies in Guanji. <laughs> well, it's the same with Spectre of the Gun, right? It's like, hey, we got all these, uh, you know, cowboy outfits. Right. So let's do a shootout at OK Corral. Exactly. I, I'm fairly certain that's what happened on Peter Sellers' uh, um, Casino Royale. <laughs> Just whatever. We got a kilt? Put a kilt in it. We got some cowboys and Indians? Put them in it. Well, we're, we're getting like way off the dinosaur path now. We, we are most certainly uh, getting off the path. So, so let's bring it back with... What do you got, Karen? Well, the last thing I watched... This is jumping way ahead. Was uh, I watched Jurassic World? Okay. I felt I felt like I well I've seen Jurassic Park. I really think Jurassic Park is a a great movie. I mean, it just it was revolutionary in a lot of ways. But I thought oh, I've seen it so many times, and I think I've only seen Jurassic World once, maybe mm-hmm. twice. Um, so I went back to watch that again, and you know it's it's pretty entertaining. I mean, I feel like it's. Most of the Jurassic movies tend to be rehashes of the original in some way, but uh, uh, you know, it was entertaining. I felt after two hours, I didn't feel robbed like maybe I would have if I'd watched Velocipaster, I guess. Um, <laughs> but you know, they they brought you know had the park again. God knows why anybody would go to that park ever again. But uh, now I don't know, remember and, in Jurassic World what park it was because I, I watched I watched the first three this week with, you know Jurassic Park and Lost World and Jurassic Park 3 and in the second film the first one is like is Isla Nubla right so yeah. that's that's where they are in uh, Jurassic World okay because really in Lost really World they go to Isla Sorna which was like um, site B mm-hmm and I think they're still on Isla Sorna in Jurassic Park 3. So they go back to the first one in Jurassic that, World? Like, yeah, that, that was like the, the, the pen that they kept the dinosaurs in. And, and, and you know, they, they display them over at Jurassic Park or Jurassic World, I guess. So, yeah, in the, in the Jurassic World, they were back at uh, Nubla. Nublar, whatever. Nublar, I think. And uh, I don't know what they were really calling the park because they had banners up everywhere that just said Isla Nublar or whatever. Um, But at one point, they discover the old Jurassic Park when they're the the two young boys are out, kind of scrambling around trying to escape the the dinosaurs, and uh, they discover the gate for the old Jurassic Park, and they discover the main entry hall and stuff. Um, which was kind of a neat touch. But, uh, you know, it was like they had gone from kind of like Disneyland to Disney World because they had all these sponsors and all these, you know, stands. They had a hotel and all this other stuff on the 
So it was, you know, highly commercialized. And a, and a raptor wrangler. Yeah. And then they had Star-Lord as the, the raptor wrangler with his trained raptors. And uh, then yeah. uh, a couple of interesting new dinosaurs. Well, they so, always have to uh, come up with a dinosaur bigger than the T-Rex. Like starting with, was it Jurassic Park 3? They had the Spinosaur. And then right. with, with Jurassic World, I think both of them, they had some kind of dinosaur that was bigger and badder than the T-Rex. Well, yeah. Or camouflage or something, I thought. Yeah, so they, um, they genetically altered um, a creature, created a creature called the Indominus Rex, and it had genes from, like, uh, the T-Rex, Velociraptor, um, a whole bunch of different dinosaurs, and it was much bigger than the T-Rex, uh, which, of course, it fights at the, the end. No, I mean, hey, spoilers, guys, it's been, like, uh-huh. five, five years, so if you haven't uh-huh. seen it... Um, but, yeah, and then they also had that huge... Um, uh, aquatic dinosaur. Yeah, the one in the tank. The Mo- Mosasaurus, yeah, which was a new one um, we hadn't seen before. Um, well, that's so, yeah, kind of the granddaddy of all the dinosaurs. Right. Yeah, yeah, much bigger than any any of the other dinosaurs that we'd seen to that point. So, uh, yeah, it was, it was really entertaining, I thought, you know. But it, it's like, you know what you're going to get in these films at this point. It's like, there's going to be people who are going to, you know, s- suddenly be endangered by the dinosaurs. Things go haywire. And, you know, if you're They're expecting be anything eaten. else, you're in the wrong movie. Yeah. Well, there's always someone greedy who's trying to steal DNA or eggs or something. Mm-hmm. There's always velociraptors either hunting and or helping and, and this is in all the movies, to my memory. I've, I've seen, like, three. And there's always, like, the human component to it. Oh, and the T-Rex. Well, I think, like, I did watch Jurassic Park 3, and I think that's where they just sort of started coming up with the fact that the raptors are more intelligent than they thought. Mm-hmm. You know, they're more intelligent than, like, you know, a dog or a dolphin or whatever. They're, like pretty high on the evolutionary scale right they can communicate with each other they can call for help um Mm you know which is cool i'm not knocking it they are exciting interesting movies Uh, i will say that if if you haven't seen one for five or ten years it's even more fun i think because I didn't remember half the stuff that was going on. I, I didn't realize in three that the kid uh, got into a parasailing, uh, not accident, whatever, you know, the dinosaurs, they got too close to the island. Um, I forgot that there was a baby T-Rex in Jurassic Park Lost World. Um, I remember not liking that film too much when it first came out, but in a second, again, 10 years, it was very entertaining. Well, the well, second was kinda... one was just Goldblum, right? Right. Yeah, and then Sam Neill came back for the third. Mm-hmm. And Laura Dern was, was like in there as the little cameos, but yeah. One of the things in Lost World was when the T Rex comes out of the ship. It kind of reminded me of Kong. Hmm, I can see that. You yeah. know, yeah. In the sea. and I don't know if they did that on purpose or if it was just me, you know, putting 
putting that together. Oh, they probably did. You know, the fact that, you know, it wasn't New York. It was a San Diego, right? It was San Diego. Yeah. 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 It was where yeah. the, the T-Rex gets out of the ship and just starts roaming through. Now, he oh, wasn't Ram- like huge. He wasn't like Godzilla size. He was just like, so he was like not, he was no bigger than a regular house, like a one-story house. He was still kind of dwarfed by, but... He, he could easily bite the uh, street light. So, he, yeah, it was about, you know, however many feet that is. Yeah. So he beat the hell out of that bus, too. That was kind of exciting as he was chasing the bus <laughs> down the street. <laughs> well, you know, for my money, that scene in the first Jurassic Park where mm-hmm. they're in the, the two, you know, the two SUVs yep. and the, the T-Rex comes over the fence. That, that is still the scariest dinosaur scene for me because I, I believed every second of that it was similar to feelings I had in Jaws because anytime I see something that can bite me in two <laughs> I, I, I am scared you know the other things I can look at and I think well you know like the bear maybe I can curl up in the ball and the bear won't kill me or maybe I can do this or that something that could just snap me in two with its mouth that's terrifying and the way they did that t-rex with the combination of you know live effects and and cgi it it looked seamless to me i bought it every every little bit of it i agree well the original jurassic park that's sort of the gold standard i mean that was you know Mm. definitely a classic and Mm. i think they kind of cheapened the t-rex as they went on as they brought in all these other bigger dinosaurs but I think they could have stuck with a T-Rex I mean that's imposing enough for the most part I agree I I think what they tried to do is kind of make the T-Rex almost like a hero kind of like the Punisher or Wolverine maybe an Mm -hmm. anti-hero in some of the films which you know may or may not have worked depends yeah, and they've every they've always got a top stuff, right? It's like, well, the first movie we had a T Rex, so the next movie we're gonna have something even bigger and crazier, and and after a while it just gets, you yeah. know, kind of ridiculous. It's like, hey, the T Rex is enough, you know. I'm scared by the T Rex, you know. Well, now, like in the in at the end of Jurassic World Two, Fallen Kingdom, right? I think it was called. Mm-hmm. They all the dinosaurs escape from the island so I guess the next movie they're going to be all over the world well if they can swim yeah well they showed like some in cities and stuff so yeah Yeah. so they're uh, this should be an interesting one I think it's still coming out I mean with this pandemic I don't know what movies are coming out which aren't anymore but uh, I know it was planned let me ask you guys this. Have either of you gone to the rides either in Florida or California at the Universal Park? You know, I have to I have to warn you guys. We went Uh-oh. to Universal last year and we didn't get really on many rides because we went to we made the mistake of going to Warner Brothers first. So by the time we got to Universal, the lines for the rides were like three hours long or something. But at one point when uh, the kids decided to go do more Harry Potter stuff, Lieutenant Debbie and I wanted to check out the Isla Nubar Tiki Bar. <laughs> thought, hey, that sounds good. Let's go check that out. And we go down there, and it was just like a, a stand. It did, wasn't, didn't really even really have tiki decor. It was just a stand, and you could get drinks in these really thin, cheap plastic tiki cups. That was that it. That was that was the tiki bar there. 
So I will warn you, if you're excited about going to the Isla New Bar Tiki Bar, don't be. <laughs> well, I, I will say I, I never visited the Florida park, but I've gone on the – I have a great picture too. Uh, it's at work though, unfortunately, so I, I won't be able to post it with you guys. Um, taking my mom and some siblings and niece and nephew on that ride – and uh, my niece and nephew just had bloody murder screaming because <laughs> spoiler alert, the, the actually the Jurassic Park ride is no more. It's now Jurassic World. Uh, and I haven't been on that either. But the T-Rex would jump out at you just before they took your picture and threw you down a waterfall. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it, it was a very good ride. And, and they had the music and the effects and some of the dinosaurs are, you know, very nice to you. And then they progressively get more and more evil and want to eat you. Oh, that's what dinosaurs do, right? <laughs> Except for the veggie sores. You know, there's one other that I wanted to mention <clears throat> that I watched, and that was Planet of Dinosaurs. And the reason mm. I wanted to mention that, I don't know, have you guys seen that one, Planet of Dinosaurs? Mm, I don't think so. Uh, yeah, a commercial spaceship called the Odyssey is on a routine mission, and they crash land in a lake on a distant planet, very much in Planet of the Apes fashion. In fact, it was kind of a nod yeah. to the Planet of the Apes. And uh, mm. as they swim to shore, they find out that the planet is filled with dinosaurs. But uh, the main reason I brought it up, it was a pretty low-budget film, but they do have some good uh, stop-motion effects and uh, sort of like a love letter to, to Ray Harryhausen. But uh, mm. Jim Pearl, who worked on like Nightmare Before Christmas and a few other films, and uh, was basically has basically been a friend of Bay Area film events for a long time, uh, he put this film together. And at one point at the end, the T-Rex, there's a cameo of the Redosaur. Huh. From Beast oh. from 20,000 Fathoms. In fact, uh, Jim got permission from Ray Harryhausen to use the Redosaur. And he just kind of comes in, the T-Rex kind of defeats it, and he's like dragging it into his cave. But uh, it was kind of <laughs> cool to see the Redosaur, who was actually brown in the film because this was like a color film. Um, huh. But it was very cool to see that. But, when was that uh, made? That was made in 1978. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, I, I will say before we uh, segue into the sensor sweep, I did watch The Meg. Oh, yeah, me too. Uh, the huge shark. I've, I saw uh, it a long time ago. Yeah, yeah. Uh, nothing really memorable to report. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would agree. It's it's so cheesy, it's not even scary, uh, unfortunately, but yeah, it was okay. Was the, the guy John Statham or St it's not Jason, Jason Statham. Jason Statham. There you go. Uh, you know, it, it, it was what it was. I, I will put out an honorable mention for uh, Ringo Starr. Caveman. Uh, this was back in the 80s. Caveman. Where he met his wife, Barbara Bach. He did. They were in that. And, uh, you know, he had the hots for her and her name was Lana. Lyle Alzado was the competing caveman. Yeah. And he'd be like. Uh, you know, uh, Ringo's name was Atuk. Be like Atuk Zigziglana, and Lila Zeta's like Nah, Tunda Zigziglana. <laughs> well, that was another Grant and Ugg movie, wasn't Peace it? Peace and love. 
<laughs> there was some grunting, but there was a lot of like this language, uh, and they made some fun of that too. They were talking about dinosaur poop and the. Anyway, if you get a chance to watch it, it, it is amusing. There's dinosaurs. One of the dinosaurs, uh, there's this weed plant, and it catches on fire, and the dinosaur gets high, and mayhem ensues. So, <laughs> well, you think the opposite would happen, right? <laughs> but yeah, you know, if I have to do an honorable mention, yeah. I would say one of the coolest dinosaur scenes in monster in uh, movie history is actually in from Fantasia. Oh, oh, very good. The right, yes. the right of spring by Stravinsky, and that segment basically goes from the Big Bang through the dawn of life on Earth and has the the dinosaurs and everything else. But there's yeah, there's pterodactyls. There's a really cool fight between a T Rex and a Stegosaurus, and uh, really dramatic you know, with, the, with the lighting. I mean, of course, it's mm-hmm. animation, but with the lighting and just the angles and everything. Um, yeah, I was, in fact, I just like went on to Disney Plus and pulled up Fantasia and just zipped over to that scene or to that segment just to watch it. And uh, man, that thing holds up. I wonder if that had any influence on the dinosaur display in the train. Uh, I was just oh thinking yeah no that. Was, yeah I think it was a direct uh, I think because they did that they put all that into uh, the train yeah. ride. Interesting. That, that was the main reason I would ride the train is to see the dinosaur part. <laughs> yeah. just, there they just are. Like there they are. There the they dinosaurs. go. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> but another very cool animated thing is uh, I'm not sure how to pronounce his first name. Is Gendy or Gendy? Tartakovsky. Ah, just try to try to say that name. I think it's Russian. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically, he was the creator of Dexter's Laboratory, and he also did Samurai Jack. And uh, he does a, a series called Primal on Adult Swim. And that follows a caveman named Spear and a T-Rex named Fang. And they end up becoming sort of uh, reluctant allies. And uh, it's like eight episodes long. I think there's two more episodes coming. And uh, there's no dialogue in this. But they're like half-hour episodes, and they're really good. I mean, real good. So I mean, if you can, if you can catch it, I think uh, I think Netflix has it. Um, mm. Definitely, definitely check it out because uh, you know they have one episode which is like these uh, giant vampire bats, prehistoric vampire bats, and another one with a uh, a group of like apes that. Uh, capture the dinosaur and they've got this like mixture that they drink and they they hulk out basically and uh, so the guy hulks out and he's fighting the Tyrannosaurus and so the caveman runs in and like grabs the uh, the elixir chugs it down hmm. and becomes a, hulks out and they're just like he goes through these apes and he's ripping off arms and pulling off heads and squeezing necks and oh, just bloody mayhem and pulling out rib cages. And it's amazing. I mean, I, I tell you, go watch this if you get a chance. Oh, my. Uh, Karen, you have an honorable mention? Yes, Batman versus Superman. No. Um, well, <laughs> I love the, you so much. That was great. <laughs> I know. Uh, before I get to an honorable mention, though, I think there is one thing we had discussed 
uh, in our, our pre-meeting that that is deserving of some mention. I do have an honorable mention, but I'm kind of using two, getting two things in here at once. Uh, the the 70s TV show, kids show, Land of the Lost. Oh, yes. I know uh, Bob and I both watched some episodes before uh, doing the, the podcast here. And, uh, you know, that was a show, it was kind of at the point in time where I was starting to phase out of watching Saturday morning TV, but I remember watching it because it had so many sci-fi elements to it. You know, they had the time warp the, the family goes through to get to the land of the lost and then all the dinosaurs, you know, this is a Sid and Marty Croft show. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it didn't have like a huge budget, but they did a lot with, with what they had. Um, and our, uh, our, Star Trek friend David Gerald was uh, heavily involved, as well as other Star Trek writers who were connected to the show. And I think, Bob, you mentioned, uh, was it Michael Westmore? Michael Westmore did the makeup effects in the in the series. Mm-hmm. And was, you know, I looked it up. I was like, the series is like 1974 to 1977. And I always thought it was earlier than that. Because you think of it, that that you know runs right up to Star Wars, and you know yeah. you look at the effects in Land of Lost, and yeah, they got some pretty good stop motion, but there's a lot of like just kind of video compositing effects that are very dated. But mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun though. I say I watched the first four yeah. episodes. I'll watch I'll watch the rest when I get a chance. Yeah, I watched uh, first like three episodes and. You know, for for the time and stuff, they were really trying to tell some nice little science fiction stories there. Well, you, you know uh, who who uh, released that? Right? It was Sid and Marty Croft. Yeah. So same mm-hmm. people that did HR Puff and stuff and Sigmund and the Sea Monsters and uh, you know whatever. So, yeah, I just wanted to make sure we mentioned that because I'm sure the listeners were may have been thinking about it. Some of them may have been thinking about it. Uh, but for, for an honorable mention, uh, one of the things that occurred to me I wanted to throw out is uh, Devil Dinosaur from Marvel Comics, Jack Kirby. Yeah. Oh, yes. Uh, so in the old days, you know, uh, he had Devil Dinosaur and Moon Boy mm-hmm. running around, big red dinosaur and this kind of primate guy. And then Marvel brought it back just recently and so it's the same devil dinosaur but now it's moon girl and she's a like a super smart kid who teams up with uh, devil dinosaur so they brought devil dinosaur back to life or from wherever devil dinosaur was <laughs> wow and uh looked at well people still love dinosaurs you know yeah. dinosaurs never go out of fashion so uh Devil Dinosaur's back, baby. Well, God, in sort of the same vein, you also had had, had uh, Hanna Barbera, right? And they had My Tor, <laughs> and uh, My Tor, and also the Herculoids. That was back in like dinosaur times. Yeah, I was looking at Herculoids, and I guess you consider could consider uh, who is the rhino kind of the Triceratops uh-huh. tops one. Do you remember the names? Yeah. yeah. Uh, God, it's around the tip of my tongue, but but no. Let's see like if fake dinosaurs could Wiki, the god of Wiki, tell us. Let's see. One moment, please. Yeah, Tundra was the rhinoceros. Tundra, they, that's they, right. they call it a rhinoceros, but it looked more like a triceratops. Yeah, to me. yeah. Igu, the ape. 
Oh, yeah, Ego, okay. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, yeah, the Dragon Zock. And you had Gloop and Gleep. So, yeah, maybe one or two of those could be considered kind of a dinosaur. Well, I think we'd be remiss talking about Hanna-Barbera animation and not mentioning the Flintstones. Oh, my God. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Dinosaurs in every episode of different sizes. And uh, anyway, yeah, the, the Flintstones will always be near and dear to my heart. Oh, I grew up religiously on that. Oh, man, I know. It, it's like, you just, it doesn't get old. I grew up on the vitamins. <laughs> <laughs> or the Winston cigarettes. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. That is funny. Well, folks, we've come to that part in our show where we're going to get into our censor sweep. This episode's censor sweep goes to our chief engineer, Bob. Take it away. Yeah, I'm going to kind of double dip on the censor sweep this time because the last censor sweep I did was on Nick Shev, one of the artists that uh, vendors at our Godzilla Fests and other shows. And uh, since that episode, he is now doing T-shirts on Tee Public. And uh, I was just looking at his T-shirts. I'm like, I mean, I've got T-shirts coming out the wazoo. I mean, coming. I've got drawer fulls, box loads, bin fulls, you know, just you name it. But I had to order his Gigan shirt because it was really cool. But uh, hmm. right now he's got a lot of Godzilla-related shirts up, Gamera, he has a Screaming Skull, but uh, he'll have other stuff coming up. He's just started the store. But it's at tpublic.com slash user slash Nick Shev. N-I-C-K-S-H-E-V. So check that out. And then, somewhat related, another one of our vendors, our artists at the uh, Godzilla Fest and everything else, um, is Gaz Gretzky. And Gaz has a really, I used to say sort of a comic book style, but he's been evolving over the last year, and his art is really getting good. And uh, you can find him... Anywhere over the internet as Gazbot, G-A-Z-B-O-T. But uh, he has an Etsy shop at etsy.com slash shop slash Gazbot. You can also look Gazbot up on Facebook, on Instagram, and of course just go to www.gazbot.com. Find him there. And he also does a podcast dedicated to one of Larry's favorite subjects, called Action Activate, all on the Power Rangers. <laughs> so you can check that out as well. But yeah, no, Gazbot, all over the uh, internet. If you're in the San Francisco Bay Area, you'll find him at shows uh, when shows are actually happening. Right. Uh, in fact, that's where I first met him. At uh, It was at a Big Wow, and he was a vendor there. And he was doing this cool thing where he was doing these three-minute drawings. And he had an Ultraman timer light on his desk or on his table. And so basically you'd say, hey, draw Godzilla for me or draw whatever. And he'd hit the timer and he'd have to draw it before it starts blinking red and goes out. And Ultraman's time is up. But uh, yeah, so he would do like these three-minute sketches. But yeah, a lot, of, a lot of fun. In fact, if you watched the... Um, 
the Ultraman panel that we did for Kyle Younts, uh, Kaiju Con Line, uh, it was me, Keith Aiken, and Gaz, Gaz Gretzky. So he was there as well. In fact, he was drawing an Ultraman as we were doing the panel. Oh, very Multitasking. Cool. Yeah. Yes, yes. All right, my friends. Another good episode. Uh, take care. Be safe, everyone. On that note, this will conclude this transmission from Planet 8. We would like to thank all of our intergalactic audience for listening. Be sure to head on over to our website at www.planet8podcast.com where you can get more information on this episode's topic. For more conversation, find us on Twitter at Planet8Cast. Or on Facebook at facebook.com slash planet8podcast. We want to thank you guys for tuning in each and every episode. We look forward to your input and opinions. Until next time, this is Planet 8, signing off. End transmission. By George, he's got it. It is the end. Now there's a show that I watch on my TV set, and I've never seen a show just like it yet. It's the story of two fellas back in Stone Age days And they've come up with a series that's a brand new craze Cause it's filled with lots of sayings that just knock me out You know I nearly go crazy when I hear them shout Other ones Fred and Betty and Wilma are the chicks they've wed. When Fred comes home at night to his loving wife, why you've never seen a guy get such a greeting in your life. Cause you see he's got a pet who's a dinosaur. And when he sees Fred coming, he just knocks him to the floor and gets excited. Back, Barney, while I play a tune on my stoner phone. Okay, Fred, great musical one. To write some fan mail And send it off to bedrock By the dodo rail Why I thrill and I spill My snuffer story stew And I get so excited I just gotta shout it too Wilma, open this door Come on Wilma, open this door Wilma, 